Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Apologies for this DC Spotlight being late. It's coming out at the end of the week. I was traveling. Rocky's had a lot of stuff going on. I'm traveling again next week for work. Work's just crazy busy right now. Um, but we'll try to get the one for next week recorded early, have it come out on time. Um, but regardless, pretty solid week this week. Um, definitely some stuff to uh, to chat about. So overall, I thought it was it was pretty good. What do you think, Rock? Um. <laughs> I I did not like this week. Uh, I didn't like. Uh, I, I I I can't say it was solid for me. I I know why you say that it's solid, and I can. I, I think I if this makes any sense, I know exactly where you're coming from. But I just there's just too many. We'll get into it, and I'll explain why. But uh, this is just. Um, you know, I've just uh, my my worst fears have been realized on on at least three of them, and uh, I just this was this was such a downer week for me. I thought it was uh, predictable, and I thought it was uh, could have been a better week, despite uh, some some titles that I, I think uh, could have been much better than they were. But uh, we'll get into it. I, and there isn't there isn't a single one that that stood out as being really good for me. There's not a single title this week that I thought was uh, as good as it could have been. Not one. <laughs> well, there's always room for improvement. There was one that I just really, really liked. And, you know, the Flash one-minute war continues to be really solid. So, anyway, uh, we're actually starting off with one of the kind of weaker books, I felt, uh, this week. But Poison Ivy, number 10, from writer G. Willow Wilson. Art by Mercio Takara. Uh, Arif Prianto on colors. Hassan Atman Elhau on letters. Um I mean, again, I, I've talked a lot about the, how I'm just not a big fan of, of Poison Ivy. I am um, happy with the direction that it's taking in as much as when this series started, G. Willow Wilson taking Ivy back to her really villainous roots. I mean, she was brutal. She was ruthless, murdering people left and right. We kind of you know, wondered out loud. It was such a tonal shift between the Poison Ivy that we had seen in pages of various Harley Quinn titles. Uh, that was all explained, and it didn't feel like, you know, ex deus machina and just change for change's sake. It it really did make sense what G. Willow Wilson was doing. That being said, I'm still just not a big a big fan of, of this title because um, I'm not a big fan of Poison Ivy. But I do appreciate what uh, G. Willow Wilson is doing. Um, and the Takara art, it's kind of up and down for me. And this, this is a little bit of a down issue. It felt a little more unfinished than it has in previous – uh, issues, especially in backgrounds. Backgrounds are very light here when they're there at all. Um, but I think for fans of Poison Ivy, I think for fans of Harley Quinn, you know, they're the, more of the target audience for this than I am. And I imagine they're probably enjoying it. She's keeping it interesting, uh, G. Willow Wilson. And I do feel like she has a, a very distinct idea in her mind of who Pamela Isley is. And it feels very consistent and very high quality in terms of narrative, you know, technically it's a great comic in terms of pacing and, and dialogue. Um, and, you know, although I may not be a big fan of uh, Takara's execution in his line work, I can't complain about the composition. His storytelling is strong. Um, it just, I don't know, maybe he feels rushed on the book. I'm not really sure. But, you know, it's a strong book technically. It's just, again, I don't feel like I'm necessarily the target audience for this. So um, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I, well, my thoughts on this is that I guess Pamela Isley now is an S L U T. 
I guess that's okay because I guess she sleeps around. Last week, last last month, it was established that she's in love with uh, Harley Quinn and she's moving to Gotham City to be with Harley. But before she does that, she decides to go on a retreat with her roommate and sleep with her roommate. And uh, she seems to think it's okay. It's not a big deal. Harley does the same thing. I guess that's what they are. They're both Harley and Pamela Isley, I guess they're both S-L-U-T-S's. I guess they always are. But they're promiscuous, and or that's just their lifestyle, so I guess that's normal. I guess that's... Um, uh, but like you said, maybe it's not my... I guess I'm not the uh, audience for it. Am, am I being too harsh? I probably... Am I, I'm, I'm being a prude. I'm being a prude. I'm a Purian fanboy, and I, I, I can't believe that Pamela Isley here is written like she's just... Oh, not a problem. She's going to just sleep with whomever on her way back to Gotham City to be with the love of her life. I thought this I, I thought this was a terrible issue. Uh, the art's fantastic. The art's fantastic. But hey, no, she's having an orgy. She's having an orgy. Hey, uh, from a Purian fanboy perspective, hey, man, show me Pamela Eisme. Show her in all the orgies that she wants. She sleeps around on uh, Harley Quinn. Is this is this the type of characterization she want? Uh, we want? I guess maybe this is true to form. I I don't I think this is com- I don't think this is really appropriate given the character that was being built here. Given the given the character that had uh, over the last uh, ten issues, uh, this was someone who grew to realize that Harley Quinn was the love of her life. But she throws it all away for a, a quickie. It's not a big deal. Harley does the same thing. She does the same thing. I, I just thought. It just never worked for me. Uh, and the other plot point here, which is interesting, is that the Lamia spores, which form part of the narrative from the very beginning, the Lamia spores now uh, Pamela Isley has no control over, and they've basically gone public. So anyone, basically, they're sort of leaking out of Poison Ivy now. And um, yeah, and I, it's a little bit wonky with her characterization. She's not really a bad girl anymore, unless she wants to be. She'll she'll randomly kill somebody, I'm sure. Uh, but there's there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I, but she's, I guess she's more of a good girl than not, but I guess she's not really a good girl. She doesn't really love Harley because she'll basically screw anything with tits and ass uh, and she'll make up an excuse for it because Harley probably does it. And and maybe Harley, I guess, does. But uh, this is, if this is what DC is choosing as as consistent characterization for both Harley and or Poison Ivy, uh, I think this, I think it's terrible. Uh, appalling. I, I just, I, I think it's terrible. And I, I can't believe, I know that there's probably some people watching saying, oh my God, I'm sounding like such a prude. <laughs> and I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm all for sex and violence in comic books. But, you know, if, if you're going to have some characterization, at least have it be consistent here. And, and this just, this whole thing just rubbed me the wrong way. And, and uh, you know, I prefer Poison Ivy as a villain. But but what she is now, I don't know what the hell she is, but she's, she's neither faithful to Harley. She's neither someone you can respect she's a part-time murderer she i don't know what i don't know what she is and i realize that sales on this comic book have been increasing and whatever j willow wilson is doing people are liking it and i'm liking it for the most part too but this is this has such a an, an so much inconsistency for me that i i don't i don't know I, i'm sorry i guess maybe i'm feeling a little bit all over the place myself but this just rubbed me the wrong way this particular issue so uh, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. So I get it. I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't feel that it was wildly out of character for her. First of all, it's it's been clear from the beginning that Janet, her roommate, has feelings for her. Poison Ivy has not reciprocated those in any way, shape, or form to this point. So <laughs> until now, yeah, till now. But but the whole point, the whole point being. She goes to this retreat. She drinks this 
adaptogenic green juice that ha- obviously has this effect on her. It has an effect on everybody. You know, I, so I don't know. I, I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit to say it's not like poison ivy. You know, this was in character for it wasn't really in character for any of these women. A lot of them, you know, they're all probably married soccer moms, right? And they're they're all <laughs> going crazy. They may not even necessarily be homosexual, but yet yeah. they're having these you know lesbian yeah. experiences. Yeah, exactly. I put it more on the, kind of the the environment and what the the manipulations of this uh, health nut guru um, that Janet is uh, is into. You know that kind of set up this whole uh, this whole retreat, this glop retreat. Um, I don't know if she's supposed to be like a pastiche for Gwyneth Paltrow or, or what, but I don't. Um, yeah. So, you know, I wasn't <laughs> necessarily holding that against poison Ivy, although, you know, to, to kind of see your side of it, she does say I'm good at recognizing when I'm about to do something. I know I'll regret later. I'm much less good at stopping myself from doing it. But again, that, that seems to be everybody at this retreat. They're all sort of under the influence of this, yeah. this drug or, or what have you. So, yeah. Um, I know it's know, shocking. I, it's shocking. I know because this is a story about a, a, a group of women that all turn into lesbians because of some mist or some drug or something. And I don't like, uh, what am I complaining about? And, and I get it. I, I get it. This is out of character for me to do this, but it's just, I, I was just, I think it's out of character for poison Ivy, especially given what I thought her character arc was for me. But I, anyways, I, I can, I get it. There's an in-story explanation for it, but if she's self-aware that she's doing it, I can't believe she would betray Harley like that. I, I'm just, I'm actually surprised and I'm disappointed in her. <laughs> I'm paternal. Yeah, again, I, I didn't, maybe it's cause I don't really care about the characters. So it doesn't really matter to me if, she's, if she does something. It didn't seem out of, didn't necessarily seem that out of character to me, but yeah, this, the, the, I mean, clearly the pastiche, like I said, for Gwyneth Paltrow, the, the character's name's Gwendolyn Caltrope. Um, so, yeah. you know, take, take with that what you will. Um, but yeah, it, I am a little surprised to hear you didn't enjoy the orgy <laughs> scene. But anyway, moving on. Uh, up next, we have a flash number 794, written by Jeremy Adams, pencils by Roger Cruz, inks by Wellington Diaz and Roger Cruz, colors by Luis Guerrero, letters by Rob Lee. This issue is really a chance for um, for Irie West to shine. She does a fantastic job uh, of kind of stepping up uh, kind of into her heroic role and, and even giving herself a, a code name. Um, and then Jay Garrick of all people gets a big hero moment at the end with uh, a, a, a splash page to, uh, to continue the issue. So uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, the only thing I'll say about the art, as I've said before, I just, I don't know if it's because it's coming out every other week. I suspect that can't help. Just feel like Roger Cruz's, pencils and line work were just better when he was doing uh, his run on Robin. They're just not quite as sharp here. Still great storytelling and still sense of action and movement. Um, but again, like the backgrounds are really light and the, uh, the art's just not as clean as I would, uh, as I've seen from Roger Cruz before, but um, I'm really enjoying the characterization on, uh, of this flash family in the hands of Jeremy Adams uh, I'm really disappointed that he's uh, he's leaving the book for Green Lantern. Even though Green Lantern, another one of my favorite characters, so I'm I'm happy that Jeremy's going to be writing him, and I'm very look, much looking forward to what he's going to do. But I don't want him off Flash. I want I'm greedy. I want him writing Flash and Green Lantern, two books. He can easily handle that. So, 
Uh, anyway, this is one of two flash books we're going to talk about this week. But what were your thoughts on this one, Rock? Uh, well, I, I share your sentiment. I, first of all, this is my favorite comic of the week, but the best of the week. But as I said before, I was a little disappointed in all of them. I remain disappointed with the art. And from the beginning of this, I've said that uh, I think it's a shame that of all the artists that Jeremy Adams has worked with since the beginning of his Flash run, if I could have... Uh, Roger Cruz is the last one that I would have wanted for this series. And it really, really shows the deficiencies in his art. He's just not up to task. I'm sorry he isn't. Uh, the, the, the plot line here in the dialogue, I can get behind this story because it's a good story. And, but emotional high points in the story are lost because, in my view, art that just isn't up to task. And uh, there are scenes with uh, just, just the lack of lightning alone. In, 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 they're supposed to be running fast. And I always get the feeling that everyone's standing still in this. Uh, but there's some, I'll give you an example of, of lost opportunities. In other words, I want, I want to, I want to be very clear on this that, uh, I'm showing a scene right now that is really cool. Superman can't access the speed force, but he's really fast. There's a scene where Superman is able, even though Superman is actually really slow, he manages to, 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 albeit slowly but fast enough, grab some of the hellhounds of Miss Murder to help Irie in, in the battle. But he's still really, really slow. The missed opportunity there artistically is that, and I don't think it worked for me, is we should have been able to see what Superman saw. We should have seen the battle from different perspectives. I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is a 60 second war. Why doesn't it feel like one? It doesn't feel like one to me. And that's the failure of the art. And I, and, and I just, it just doesn't work. Now there's, there's emotion behind the scenes. There's a, I mean, Irie is lost uh, to their understanding. They're not aware that Wally West is still alive, but Irie, Irie's under the impression that her father is dead. There's some emotional scenes uh, later on in the issue. There's a scene where she even uh, talks to Superman saying, thanking him. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Superman's perspective from that. The, the, the opportunities artistically here to, to, to illustrate a 60 second war Every single ounce of that, I, I don't see. I don't see the type of creativity that that should be literally, visually should be everywhere in this series. But it, it's not because this this doesn't cut it. You said before the non, you know, the backgrounds are highly deficient. There, there, the the other thing that throws me off is apparently, apparently, Irie and Jay, Irie, <laughs> there, there's a full page spread. Irie is actually using Jay. He's not moving. But she's using him like some sort of sledgehammer, like he's some sort of ball. And I don't even know how she's pulling him. She's pulling him on lightning and she's literally throwing him against walls because he's like supposed to be invulnerable. It's, anyways, visually, it looks terrible. It just doesn't look good. It, it, I think it's ridiculous. It doesn't work. It doesn't look good. And what does it accomplish? And, and there are scenes where he, when she's not using him, he can, he just sort of stays and elevates, levitates in the air when she's not throwing him. This whole thing, this, this visually, this thing is not as good as, it's not up to, up to task for me. And if it sounds, now I want to be clear on this. This moves the story. This is actually a good narrative and the dialogue is good. Uh, but it's lost on an art that is, is just not up to task for me. There are moments here where Barry Allen is upset because uh, he's, he's, you know, he, Barry Allen comes up with a cool plan. It looks like they got a plan. He can possibly undo everything that the fraction has done and maybe reinstate everything to the way it should be. And then Jay Garrick, as he said, does do something heroic. In fact, I think artistically, uh, the way that Roger uh, Cruz sort of illustrates, 
you know, that particular sequence uh, by actually, ironically enough, not showing it. We, we see Jay Garrick in a room where he incapacitates his captors and he comes up holding a big gun. That's kind of a cool scene. So there are moments here. But again, maybe I'm being harsh, but I had so much higher expectations. It's another example of editorially the editors not knowing that they had a hit with Jeremy Adams on their hand and assigning the wrong artist to a fantastic series. And I hate to, I, and. I say that with great respect to Roger Cruz, but it's just, this is, this could have been so much better. Uh, it's, as it stands, it's good, it's, but it could have been better. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, he, we know he's a talented artist. I just, I think he's probably doing the best he can under the time constraints. Um, yeah. They should have given him, you know, more time to, to get ahead on it if they wanted him to do the whole thing, so. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one. This is from writer Tom Taylor. Clayton Henry is the artist. Jordi Belair on colors. Wes Abbott on letters. Countdown to Injustice, chapter one, Into the Multiverse. Everything that we've read here, and you know, it's right on the trade dress uh, of the main cover, Road to Injustice, it says, um, leads me to believe we're going to get another Injustice title uh, that's probably going to star John Kent. Because uh, we know there's something else with John Kent coming after this, despite a certain narrative online that you might see that, uh, you know, Superman Son of Kal-El was canceled because of poor sales and everybody hates Tom Taylor and what have you. No, just a different title continuing John Kent's story, whether, we, you know, you still think they'll de-age John Kent or not. I mean, really got to give up that dream if you do think that. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about that, and you see it on the main cover uh, and we've seen it hinted at before, John Kent having some sort of other powers, maybe even blue electric-based powers, like a certain uh, electric blue Superman that existed back in the 90s uh, with a glow-in-the-dark cover and uh, interesting powers. Um, we've seen John manifest powers that are unlike anything his dad has had um, traditionally. So we see a little bit of that in this issue as well and where that might go. Uh, remains to be seen. What I really enjoyed about this issue, uh, we knew that Tom Taylor, uh, even when he came on our show, he teased it, that the big bad of the series is Ultraman himself. It's going to give John Kent a chance to sort of confront his his demons, if you will, his captor. We know that Ultraman was the one who cost John Kent all those years, um, keeping him trapped in a volcano on Earth-3, uh, part of the multiverse. And Valzad is sort of the uh, the mechanism that's going to allow John to have a chance to confront Ultraman. Ultraman is traveling around the multiverse, killing Superman. He has some way of weakening Kal-El's uh, on a molecular level, we're told in this issue, which allows Ultraman to then murder them. So um, they don't uh, – Valzad and the Red Tornado of Earth 2 – go and recruit John when Superman is away from Earth, specifically because they don't, they know that kal would never let his son go and put himself in danger. He would go himself, but then he would also be weakened. Um, for whatever reason, Ultraman is hunting these different kal across the multiverse. It's a really interesting concept, interesting story. It's giving Tom Taylor a chance to write the Red Tornado of, of Earth 2 again, who's actually Lois Lane, um, and Valzad, another um, Earth 2 uh, character, so I enjoy that. How Ultraman is doing it, we don't know. There, There is mystery. There's a, a voice talking to John Kent that we don't know exactly who it is. So there's still a lot of questions, still a lot of unknown. I like that. 
I like that Tom Taylor is, is probably going to uh, leverage that mystery for a little while before we get answers. It may even lead into the next series, uh, the Injustice series. Um, what became of Amanda Waller on Earth-3 uh, and the war for Earth-3 and all that and why she's back in the main DC, we don't know. Um, I know that if Jeremy Adams hadn't left Flash, he was hoping to tell that story. Um, that would have been great to see, but maybe we'll get a in-universe explanation. Maybe it's Amanda Waller that John Ken is hearing. I, I don't know, but I will say this. Um, we know why, from a practical standpoint, why DC ends series and starts over with new number ones. You get that bump with number ones, which isn't as big as it used to be. Um, but if this is all, if Superman, Son of kal is John Kent's story and it's continuing into Adventures of Superman, into Injustice, I just wish they would just just name the series John Kent Superman or something like that. Don't give us these six-issue arcs um, that where each one is named something different. If it's all one continuous story, um, one long narrative from Tom Taylor as, a, he, as he's telling John Kent's story, then just put it all in one title. Um, but maybe that's just my old school comic collecting self that, that wants it to last longer than six issues. Um, cause I, I don't know, it just gets confusing, you know, like, where do I go next? And it's harder to explain to new readers. Um, you know, well, yeah, the reason that that Captain America two, um, story doesn't continue into this Captain America three that you own is because this Captain America two, you have is volume four and the Captain America three has volume five. And you just see their eyes glaze over. It's super annoying. So um, anyway, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it more than I thought. I'm really excited for Valzad. I'm really excited. I mean, maybe it's just because I, I like a lot of these characters. I love the Earth 2 stuff that Tom Taylor did, especially with Nicola on art, Nicola Scott. So I love Valzad. Um, you know, I know there's rumors that we're going to get a Michael B. Jordan Valzad movie. I would love that. I think he's perfectly cast. Um, I like the Lois Lane Red Tornado version. Ultraman has always been one of my favorite villains, maybe because Superman's my favorite hero. So this is just checks off a lot of the boxes for me. And I'm even getting to the point where I'm sort of putting aside that uh, John Kent hasn't earned Superman feeling that I, or, or maybe it's just that I'm getting more used to him as Superman. Um, and we, you know, we've seen him do a lot of great things in his own title and, and kind of maturing as a character. Um, I mean, I still, I imagine I feel a lot like uh, Clark and Lois do in that I feel some sadness, some disappointment for the years of stories that I missed out on that we should have had with John Kent as a younger uh, teenager. But this is good. This is good quality storytelling, and the Clayton Henry art is really great as well. I like Clayton Henry's uh, style of art. Um, I thought the colors actually could have been a little more primary. They're a little kind of pastel almost. Um, and, you know, I say it all the time when you talk about using primary colors, it really helps sell the feeling of being traditionally super heroic. And this is not quite there for me on the color work, but it's a minor nitpick overall visually. I thought this was a, a really great, uh, book and yeah, I'm excited. This was probably my favorite favorite title. I'm not putting that out there officially yet. I'll wait till the end, but I really enjoyed this. So, uh, and I'm curious. I'm curious, Rocky, because for me this this one really stood out. But I know you said that this was kind of yeah. a down week for you, so yeah. I'm curious as to your thoughts. Well, 
what really disappointed me about this is, and here's the irony, this thing I thought there was, uh, for a first-time reader, this, don't worry, you're spoon-fed everything. But for but we every single thing in this comic, we already knew. We already knew that Superman were being killed throughout that we, we knew from from what we read before. And uh, and the and we had an there was an epic opening sequence here where a Superman on another earth is killed. Uh, but all I could think of as I'm reading this is I want to play script doctor. I want to play script doctor. Six pages is completely, utterly wasted with him flying around catching falling satellites. Why? Why? What a waste. Three pages wasted on him talking to his boyfriend. Why? Nine pages completely, utterly wasted. That could have been an action scene showing the earth, showing a battle sequence with uh, Val Zod, with Red Tornado Lois Lane uh, helping and losing in the battle and losing their Superman. Utterly wasted. I don't like the choices made here narratively. Now, having said that, is it okay? It's okay. Is, uh, and and I, I call it adequate. And adequate. Not a fan of Clayton Henry's art. I never will be. Uh, but I, you know, I, but this was, I thought this was boring. Uh, now, having said that, you know, I mean, and finally they meet. This was a glorified, long conversation. He's, you know, six pages with him, you know, catching falling satellites. Three pages of him talking to his boyfriend. You know, another six, 12 pages of him talking to Val Zod, talking to Red Tornado, talking to his mommy. I mean, um, this was, uh, and there, there, there wasn't the type of character work that I can normally say about Tom Taylor. Say, well, we got good character work. No, this uh, for me, this was disappointing. Now, having said all that, here's the silver lining in all this. Uh, boy, boy, oh boy, this is going to be pretty cool when there's a when there's a finally there's an altercation. I'm looking forward absolutely when John Kent finally meets up with Ultraman. Absolutely. Also, highlights here that I really liked. I liked that Lois Lane. Was got very upset at the suggestion that Val Zod and, and the Red Tornado Lois Lane are saying, we need John Kent to come with us. I like the fact that Lois Lane got upset and said, I'm not going to let him go with you to fight Ultraman. That man tortured my son. She actually said the word tortured. That's significant. Lois Lane has never, ever said, to my knowledge, in any previous storyline, was there any acknowledgement that her son was tortured by Ultraman? When Bendis portrayed that issue, he made it a joke. In fact, John Kent joked about it. He joked about how talky, quote unquote, talky Ultraman was. It was played as a joke. Now at least we have an acknowledgement. John Kent actually says he lost his childhood to Ultraman. Well, that's a nice acknowledgement. Lois Lane said he was actually tortured. Now here's the test. Here's what I want to know. Torture is a pretty strong word, Lois Lane. You're a reporter. I'm pretty sure you know what torture is. How did Ultraman torture your son? How? Specifically how? Mental abuse? Physical abuse? Sexual abuse? How? Now, uh, and, and what, what my fear is, is that this entire series might be nothing but deflection. And we're going to be, we're going to go off into an, and go off into another universe, namely the injustice universe, where the entire story, instead of being a story about him and his relationship and the fact that he was tortured, by Ultraman, it's going to be about John Kent being heroic and talking Injustice Superman out of being evil, which in my view completely misses the point. And that's what I hope we're not going to be doing because, uh, we, you know, I, I and I, I, I fear that's kind of where this is going. I want to see 
a, a battle between Ultraman and John Kent. And if this becomes but basically a glorified battle between Injustice Superman and Ultraman and John Kent caught in the middle and it's not dealing with the issues, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to see where it goes. So once again, I find myself simultaneously kind of excited, mostly disappointed. This was all set up issue for me because it told me stuff I already knew. But here's the thing for new readers that I can tell you, you got every reason to be excited. Earth 2, New 52, Earth 2 and Earth 2 Society was awesome. Tom Taylor wrote those series. They were really good. Red Tornado Lois Lane is an awesome character. It's going to be cool to see her. Val Zod is an awesome character. Seeing these characters moving forward is going to be really, really exciting. And maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a little bit um, ornery this week, but I was I wanted more in this issue. I wanted more substance. Uh, and my fear is that you know, but that we're not going to get it, and this is going to become too decompressed. But my fingers are crossed moving forward. And again, I'm more optimistic than anything else. But this is a really, really spoon feeding issue for for brand new readers and i i think in the long run that's probably a good thing and it's probably a good thing that maybe i didn't get my way because we have to attract more readers to this title because i want i want john kent to be a, a, a hero that succeeds and has a wider audience than he currently has in my view yeah i didn't really like i get it, it this is a number one and yes it is set up issue to some extent um which again goes back to my what I was just saying, like, why can't we just, it didn't need to be restarted with adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one, like we could have just kept it as Superman, son of Kal-El um, and, and continue the story. Then maybe you don't need as much of this setup. Um, but being that it's a number one, you know, I get it. Uh, but the other part, part that I sort of disagree with what you're saying is I don't feel that those pages with John Kent talking to his boyfriend were, uh, were wasted. I didn't feel that the pages of him, knocking out the satellites were wasted either because it was setting up that meeting of Val Zod. You know, he mentions, Hey, someone else has taken out some of the satellites. You're wondering who it is. I, I kind of liked that, that story structure. Um, cause, cause I'm wondering, is it, is it Ultraman who's kind of teasing John Kent showing that he's more powerful than him? Cause he's moving so fast. He can't even tell who it is. turns out to be Val Zod. Uh, again, it's just kind of people who aren't familiar with Val Zod get to know how powerful Val Zod is. Um, you know, the, the moments where he's talking to his boyfriend, it's a reminder that his secret identity has been reestablished. Um, but it's also an insight. It is some character work into John Kent, how much, how relieved he is to not have his identity out there. Uh, and so, yeah, I didn't necessarily feel that they were wasted. Could it have been done more succinctly? Yeah, maybe, but you know, I'm going to give Tom Taylor the benefit of the doubt when it comes to pacing. Although I do feel like, uh, you know, both of us have talked about it with Nightwing. It, 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 it is probably, in my opinion, the weakest part of his uh, his storytelling, uh, and not necessarily, I'm saying that his pacing is always slow. It's just it's not consistent, um, and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe he likes to speed up and slow down his pacing, but sometimes it can make for uneven reading. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'm excited for what uh, this title has, and I'm I'm sort of curious if your opinion of the first issue might change if the payoff in the end is really really great. So I guess we'll have yeah. to see. We shall. Um, this one I, I actually was disappointed in. I'm curious to see if you agree. Monkey Prince number 12, uh, part four of four, The Monkey King and I from writer Jean Luen Yang. Art by Bernard Chang. Marcelo Maiello is the color artist Janice Chang on letters. Um, it wraps up the Monkey King uh, maxi series, the 12-issue series, in a satisfying way. 
and we learned the origin of the, the Monkey King, his true origin, which I felt was fitting and, and that all worked. But where it kind of was disappointing for me, it, it was um, this was billed as kind of the, the epilogue or the you know period on the end of the sentence for Lazarus Planet, which ultimately felt like a pretty disappointing event, honestly. Um, but this didn't really feel like it had much to do with uh, with Lazarus Planet at all, other than a, a, another quick fight with um, Red Bull King or whatever his name, <laughs> name is, King Red Bull. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't feel necessary as that. So I, I, I kind of feel like it shouldn't have necessarily – Lazarus Planet shouldn't even really been didn't, been mentioned with this. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, this felt in keeping with what um, – with what Monkey Prince was all along. And he does feel like he's very much um, has been incorporated into the main DC universe, which I know is one of the big goals uh, for this creative team. So they succeeded very, very well on that front. Um, and so, yeah, I think if this hadn't been billed as kind of the, you know, the, the period on the end of the sentence for Lazarus Planet, I probably wouldn't have been disappointed at all because it is a good conclusion to the Monkey Prince um, story. But it just didn't feel like it added much to the Lazarus planet at all. Um, but maybe that's just perfect, right? Because Lazarus planet was so underwhelming. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the story of Monkey Prince, it certainly feels like there's more to come. And it, this is one of those series that ends with what's kind of become a trope or a cliche with instead of the end, it's the beginning or this is just the beginning or whatever they put on the last page. Um but yeah, I, I, I liked the last couple of pages, especially because it's in Marcus's own voice, Marcus Toe, who is the Monkey Prince. You know, he's saying, well, here's kind of the state of affairs. Here's where everything is. Yes, I've gone through all of this crazy stuff um, and everything is still up in the air with my family. I feel like my parents are going to go back to being henchmen. My grandfather's this, you know, big supervillain, the ultra humanite. Um, everything is up in the air. I'm behind on homework. Uh, but that's okay because I'm the mother flipping monkey prince. So it, it felt very on brand and very um, – this entire series has felt very consistent in tone. And uh, you can tell that creative team has had a lot of fun in doing it. So, you know, I've come to really like the monkey prince as a character throughout this 12-issue series. When he when he was first announced, when he first showed up, I think in the um, in that one shot with uh, filled with different Asian characters, I was kind of like – he almost felt like a, like a little bit of tokenism as a character, you know, like, Oh, they, they don't have like a, a Chinese character or a character that's coming from Chinese folklore. So they're just kind of, you know, this guy's going to be this sort of generic cardboard cutout with all the different pastiches. Um, but no, the creative team, they made Marcus much more interesting, much more relatable than that. And uh, I, yeah, I find myself, you know, I wouldn't put him, you know, up there among my favorites, but he's an interesting character. And, um, you know, we've seen him in the hands of some other artists where uh, it's been kind of a more mature style. Not that I don't enjoy Bernard Chang's style. I think it works really well for the way Gene Luen Yang writes the Monkey Prince. But it'd be, it's going to be really interesting to see the Monkey Prince in the hands of other creators um, as he becomes part of the uh, greater DCU. So, yeah, I, I feel overall this was really well done and it'll probably read really well in a trade. So uh, what were your thoughts on the conclusion of uh, Monkey Prince? Well, I, I, unfortunately, what makes this 12 issue series really wonky is the fact that it did overlap with Lazarus Planet. At the same time, Lazarus Planet did put Monkey Prince more on the map 
and I think introduced them to a wider audience. So it was a double-edged sword. So it was it was kind of a good thing, but it maybe I think it disrupted the flow of what would have been a more cohesive narrative for these 12 issues. Uh, it would be interesting to see when they collect Monkey Prince uh, as a full trade, a full 12 issues or the second trade, if they're going to incorporate or how they're going to explain all the events of Lazarus in order to make frankly the last six issues make more sense because there's a lot of story there uh but but interesting and to the credit here i I think that the one character that benefited the most from uh lazarus planet was monkey prince which is ironic because it was it's only it was one of the few that actually just has a a 12 issue series it doesn't even have an ongoing series and uh you you could certainly argue that monkey prince benefited the most uh his relationship with supergirl supergirl began not liking him uh his relationship with supergirl who he has a crush on that improves dramatically here he saves supergirl's life they help each other he defeats king red uh uh king bullfire uh he learns the lesson not to use lethal force not to kill so uh a lot of the lessons he one thing that we can say for certain in the over these 12 issues is that we've seen monkey prince grow as a character and it's felt to me it's felt organic i'll agree with you that maybe at the beginning that maybe that was a little bit of tokenism there but it did grow on me because i remember in the first issue we reviewed i was lost as, as i told you i didn't know what the hell is this this mythology this this he loses his head and what the hell is this character and then well he's part of a japanese or something mythology okay and no I, but you know to the credit of uh gene yun yang i mean this is this has sort of grown on me as a character and i'm curious moving forward i i really love this setup it sort of restored the status quo with a twist his parents are still even though they're not his real parents he was born in the phantom zone as an offspring of king i think king red bull or king fireball i'm butchering that whatever unimportant bottom line is his parents his adoptive parents the ones that that they saved him they are sort of uh minions of super villains and his grandfather is also has some nineites implanted in him and and sort of and sort of he's sort of like the ultra humanite in his spare time so he's got probably one of the most fascinating and interesting family units of all the dc characters and there's so much potential here for monkey prince moving forward um so we'll have to see uh we'll have to see but overall not a bad ending to a a a 12 issue series uh and it did manage to get some extra highlights because of a big event yeah, I agree, hundred uh, percent. All right, up next we have Batman number one thirty three, main story written by Chip Zdarsky, Mike Hawthorne does the pencils, Adriano Di Benedetto on inks, Tomeo More on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters, and then we have the backup uh, with uh, Tim Drake and Toy Man. That is also written by uh, Chip Zdarsky. The art in that is by Miguel Mendoca. Uh, we've got Roman Stevens on colors and Clayton Cowell on letters. So uh, in the main story, as hinted last time, Bruce Wayne has adopted the identity of Batman in this new Gotham he's in with another part of the multiverse. We get a chance this time to see this world's version of the Riddler. Um, and we get to see, uh, as I said, Bruce Wayne as as Batman start to see some hints about who this red mask might be. Um, he shows what appears to be lightning based speed powers. So could he be related to the flash family in some way Uh, remains to be seen. Um, some interesting interactions with both this world's Alfred and this world's Selena Kyle. 
um, and Bruce Wayne. So even though, as I've said throughout, this Zdarsky run feels a little bit derivative, feels like we've seen some of these ideas before. And, you know, that that's not necessarily anything new with Zdarsky. I certainly feel that way with his Daredevil run. Um, but in his Daredevil run, it's, I don't know, it works better for me. Maybe just because I've read less Daredevil, I, I'm not sure. Um, it seems more grounded in emotion and less less so here. Here it's a little more over the top, and I, I struggle with a little bit more, like doing things like having Batman fall all the way to Earth from outer space and live, which I just find to be ludicrous or what have you. But I I am enjoying this. Um, it is interesting to see Batman in an environment where. You know, it's kind of what we were promised by Tynan, but it never really felt like it was delivered um, in terms of Bruce Wayne not having his fortune, right? And not having um, all of the, the accoutrements that come with it, uh, all the ability to have the gadgets and what have you. Um, but it never really, we've never, I feel like we never really felt that effect uh, fully. Because, you know, he still had the brownstone He had uh, in downtown. He had the micro caves and what have you. But this is really a Bruce Wayne without a lot of resources, being that he's on this world. He's having to, you know, makeshift costume. And he really doesn't have the resources here. So I, I, I find that to be interesting. And the Mike Hawthorne art, you know, Mike Hawthorne, his art tends to have thicker lines um, and really feel a little more solid, a little less fluid. But because of the sort of the brutality of this world that Bruce Wayne finds himself in right now, uh, it sort of works uh, on that level. You know, this is a, a Selena Kyle that's, you know, a little less on the beautiful side and more on kind of the really kind of strong, um, almost masculine features. But again, it works for the world that Zdarsky is uh, is inhabiting right now with Batman. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this, even though, you know, a lot of the things, like I said, are feel a little bit derivative. Here we go with Arkham again. Oh, it's not Arkham Tower. It's not Arkham Manor. It's not Arkham <clears throat> Asylum. Now we have the Arkham Caves, you know. Uh, so just, again, um, mining ground that's been trod on before. But uh, I guess as long as the story is entertaining, I'll, I'll go along for the ride. So uh, what, what are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, well, the, the, the multiversal angle uh, is – you know, I was hoping Zardaski would, would at least do something different with it. And I think he has. I'm more or less entertained. I like the fact that this Bruce Wayne has become Batman in this other Earth. And he's kicking ass. He's kicking ass. He, he handily defeats the Riddler. He handily <laughs> defeats Catwoman. He handily defeats uh, a venomized Harvey Dent. And he's kicking ass. And, he, and, he's, and he's, uh, he's already determined multiversal energy on the corpse of Bruce Wayne, uh, of, of, the, of that Earth's Bruce Wayne. He's already confronted Alfred, and he's made it clear that he, you know, he tells this planet, this Earth's Alfred, that he, you know, he loved his Alfred. And uh, he's not messing around. He's getting things done. He's, he's doing what he does. He's Batman. This world maybe doesn't have a Batman, but it has one now. And he's he's kicking ass. He's taking names. He's doing his job. It just goes to show you, man, it doesn't matter where you put Bruce Wayne Batman, 
<laughs> he's going to be Batman. And that's what I like about this. And now, of course, Chip Sardaski is the same guy that had Batman, you know, fall from the moon. And so it's not surprising he's going to kick some ass if you throw him on an alternate Earth. I like that this aspect here. And I like that this ends with, you know, basically instead of an Arkham Tower, they have Arkham Caves. And so in, in, in a sense, not a heck of a lot happens in this issue, but yet... In a way, kind of a lot, a very important things happen because it establishes Bruce Wayne is Batman again. And he's, he's really already made a huge name and presence for himself on this alternate earth, even though this earth is one where Bruce Wayne, it's Bruce Wayne is dead. Bruce Wayne now is, this Bruce Wayne is back as, as Batman and he, he is, he's doing a great job getting noticed and the red mask is taking notice. The red mask does seem to move with a red mist. It reminds me a little bit of like the red mist in, uh, under, under Bendis with Superman, although I'm, I, I don't think that's what it is. I, I, I really, strangely enough, I don't have any idea who the red mask is. I actually don't know. I don't even have a guess. To be honest with you, I, I like your guess that maybe it's some, maybe it's a speedster of some kind. Maybe it's a twisted form of Wally West or some damn thing. Who the hell knows? It doesn't have to be in Batman's rogues gallery. But uh, Zardaski has me guessing, or has me sort of buffaloed here. I don't know what's going on in terms well, of who the Red you, Mask did is. You, did you mention last issue that maybe it was that world of Bruce Wayne? And I thought that was a good theory, but clearly not. As we see, yeah. th th this world's Bruce Wayne, his corpse gets dug up. That's exactly right. So, so who knows? And uh, and then just uh, and and the backup here. I I don't think the backup here. We can talk about it now. I mean, I didn't think much happened in the backup. I mean, Tim Tim Drake defeats the Toy Man. Presumably, he's on the same Earth. Defeats the Toy Man, and now he wants to. Once he defeats the Toy Man, now he's ready to to do what he has to do to try to find find where Batman is. And so I didn't I didn't find the. I didn't find the backup particularly enlightening or providing any clues as to who Red Mask is or how necessarily Batman's, you know, we know that eventually Batman's going to get out of the universe he's trapped in. I just kind of find the backups, they, they remain largely superfluous to me. I'm not sure to what extent they're really necessary, uh, but or how Zardaski is going to tie them in. I just think it's, it's just taken up space to justify a larger price point. I still feel that way, but what do you think of the backup? No, I feel I feel the same way. Um, I will say we did talk last time about how we felt that the Miguel Mendoca art wasn't quite up to the standard that we've seen from Miguel before, and I, you know I think it possibly is because of working with a new color artist. Um, you know, there's no inker here, so you're going directly from digital pencils to Roman Stevens uh, coloring it. I will give credit to Stevens. This the art in this particular issue feels like a, an improvement over last issue. Uh, so, you know, probably just a case of him getting used to working with Miguel and Miguel's lines. So uh, I thought the art was a lot better. I also, I, I really kind of enjoy the, the costume um, that uh, Tim Drake is wearing. It sort of reminds me of the costume that Billy Batson was wearing in that Earth 2 uh, weekly back in the day. Uh, when he was pretending to be Superman, but he's wearing like this motorcycle-like helmet because he wasn't really Superman. He didn't want anyone to recognize that he wasn't. Um, this is a costume created by uh, Mr. Terrific that Tim Drake's wearing. And then once he goes to this um, this place in the multiverse, which, yeah, as Rocky said, it might be the same Earth that Bruce is on. It might not be. Um, but where the Toy Man is, and the Toy Man has taken other people from the main Earth there. So Tim's got to go and track them all down 
put a special disc on all of them and then he activates the suit and it pulls them all back to the main earth. So uh, just a reminder of how incredibly intelligent Mr. Terrific is. And again, I just, I thought the costume looked really cool and uh, it was, it, I just, it was really great. I enjoyed seeing it uh, as far as, you know, is this necessary? No, it, it is not necessary at all. I totally agree with Rocky that it's just uh, kind of an excuse to, to charge a higher price point because what's happening here with Tim going to this other part of the multiverse and, and saying, okay, I'm going to kidnap the toy man, bring him back and interrogate him so we can find out, you know, where Batman is. That can be done with two or three panels in the main story. Easily, easily done in the main story. Um, we're getting a lot more than that here. Is it necessary? Is it needed? Probably not. Is it great to see more Mangel Mendoka art? Yeah, it is. So, um, but yeah, these backups, I'm ready for them to to go away completely. At least I'll say in defense of it, at least this backup has something tangentially to do with the main story, unlike the backup we get in Wonder Woman every month. Um, yeah. <laughs> which has nothing to do with it. So yeah. uh, anyway, moving on, Batman and the Joker, Deadly Duo, number five, story and art by Mark Silvestri, colors by Arif Prianto, letters by po Troy uh, uh, Petrie. Man, this is so good. So good. Mark Silvestri drawing Batman continues to be fantastic. There's a Gary Frank alternate cover uh, on this one as well that was really great. Um, but I continue to be impressed with the story and the narrative that Mark Silvestri's doing. I mean, we all know what a brilliant artist he is. He doesn't let us down. The art has been spectacular throughout. Uh, I love that they give us uh, ink pages in the back of each of these books where we don't see the colors. We just see Mark Silvestri's line work uh, and he's inking himself. So, you know, again, it's, it's all his line. Work. It's not interpreted through anybody else and it continues to be amazing. But I expect that from Mark. You know, Mark has been doing that for decades. Um, what I wasn't necessarily expecting was the strength of the storytelling. This is such a fascinating story. The idea of of loss and revenge, you know, tying in with the Joker. Because that was my dis kind of my my worry. I was worried I was going to be disappointed. God, I'm so sick of the Joker and teaming him up with Batman. Um, but this isn't at all a Joker that's in any way redeeming himself or, or on the road to redemption. You can feel the, the tension, the disappointment, the anger that Batman has toward him. Uh, you know, his reluctance to work with him. That's reiterated by Batgirl showing up in this issue. And it's an awesome scene with her basically beating the crap out of the Joker, as you would expect her to do based on the events of the killing joke. Um, and, you know, Bruce showing up and, and stopping her and, and, you know, again, that reluctance. It's so it's such great character work from Silvestri. Um, and you can just see the look on Bruce's face, you know, because uh, he knows that Barbara doesn't approve of him working with the Joker, but he has no choice. Uh, and again, it's just it's great character work. And we basically have the big bad revealed of who's behind everything. We thought it was Donald Sims. Turns out not necessarily to be the case uh, of who's actually behind this this disease, this virus, this parasite, whatever you want to call it, that's uh, infecting everybody. And it's it's horrific in a way, um, but in a way that's like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. <clears throat> what a great story from Sylvester. Uh, I, I want him to do more of this type of stuff. I want him to do more Batman. Uh, but at the same time, God, it took him, what, five years to do this? took a long time and you can see it in the artwork, you know, how fantastic it is, how that time has been spent 
Um, but you know, at the end of the day, he's Mark Sylvester and he does, he doesn't have to put out a monthly book, you know, to pay the bills like some other artists do so he can afford to take his time and we're getting a quality story, but you know, the, the greedy comic book fan in me wants, wants this on a monthly basis. Like give Mark Sylvester a monthly Batman book. He can never do it. Right. Not in, and give this high quality art and, and story. Um, but man, if we could even get like a six issue mini each year from him on Batman. Wow. I, I just continue to be impressed with this. It's really, really good. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought I, I thought this was good. I thought this was good. I didn't think um, I think a lot of the uh, strangely enough, I thought uh, I thought a lot of the clues that a lot of the revelations here, I, I thought the, the clues were enough in previous issues that I, I, this was almost kind of sort of predictable. And yet it plays so well as a wonderful revelation. Uh, one thing I want to give Sylvester really a lot of credit for is the big reveal here. You know, that, you know, this Edward Sims, his daughter was killed at her own wedding. Basically, the Joker, it, Batman was chasing the Joker back in the early years of Gotham. Joker crashed into a wedding. It was Edward Sims' daughter's wedding. A lot of people ended up getting killed, including Edward Sims' daughter. And as uh, as the years went on, Edward Sims developed a number of uh, uh, viruses, a number of different types of medications, medicines, and one of them was something that cured cancer. But it also enhanced reflexes and everything else. And it also seemed to have an impact on dead tissue. And and I love the way that the big reveal here, we're never actually told who the big bad is. And it's brilliant. All we get is Batman's narration that said, I've I poured over the data, seen what Sims research was capable of. I saw the gravesite, but I had hoped that what now stands before me was simply not possible. And then it shows her. And it doesn't say who she is, but if you've been reading the story, you know exactly who it is. And even though it, it looks like a tortured, horrific version of this particular character, you know who it is. And the fantastic arc of, of art of Silvestri hammers that moment home so viscerally. It's very, very well done. This is a, the, the visuals in this comic enhance the story because in the hands of a different artist, this story could be, you know, you could, this story wouldn't, would not necessarily hit as hard as it has. This is very well done. And the art here, uh, particularly upon, you know, I've, I've read this because we, because we, we took longer this week to do the reviews and there wasn't a lot of comic books to review this week. I, I've read these comics more than once and, um, uh, I will admit that visually, uh, the story, the art told the story. I didn't even have to read a lot of the art, but the dialogue here, I mean, who would have thought I would never have guessed that Sylvester's dialogue was was as, as good as his art in places. So overall, it was quite impressive. And I'm looking forward to see how this how this thing wraps up, because I believe it's only six issues, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's again, been a long time coming. It was announced so long ago, I think five years ago, four or five years ago at San Diego Comic-Con. So yeah, yeah. I'm very curious how it all wraps up as well. Uh, okay. Up next we have uh, static shadows of Dakota. Number two, there's no creator page in the uh, press preview. We got, uh, we know that it's written co-written by Nicholas Draper, Ivy and Vita Ayala. We know Nicholas Draper, Ivy does the art beyond that. I'm sorry. I, I can't give, um, any credit. This was not really that interesting to me. Uh, it feels like we're treading over ground that we've already went over in Static Season 1. 
um, that was written by Vita Ayala and Nicholas Draper Ivy, along with Chris Cost, did the art in, in that one. Uh, Draper Ivy's handling the art duties, you know, himself singularly this time, and and the art's really strong. But again, it just it doesn't feel like we're like it feels like it's dragging a little bit. It doesn't feel like it's really paced that quickly. Um, and I I sort of miss the supporting cast of um, of Static's family that we had that they were such a strong part of the season one we haven't they haven't shown up at all here they're mentioned uh, but they haven't shown up at all here in season two so i don't know this this isn't really working for me that that well and it, it feels like i said like uh not much has happened in these first two issues that it's it's kind of dragging out for me a little bit but uh, i don't know maybe you're getting a different vibe rocky what'd you think well, I don't mind. Uh, I, I agree with you that they're they're, they're exploring the same uh, sort of general plot idea, but I, I kind of expect that because the, the plot idea was only touched upon in the first six issues and the, the first volume of six issues because we have to remember that there are still a, a number of different groups. We have a government group that's sort of you know malevolent and we also have a, a sort of a citizen terrorist group that are looking to harm the bang babies and a government group looking to, to uh, find the bang, bang babies and to sort of experiment on them and to control them and so they're still running amok and static is still dealing with that and now having said that there are as one of the things that I think works in this issue for me what worked for me is you know we we did meet some other characters and Static uh, people know Static as being a bang baby because Static was the one that he actually rescued a group of people uh, of young kids the from in, in the first volume from from the government forces that want to basically experiment on them and so he's sort of uh, I think he's, he's starting to build up a little bit of a rep and he meets a young blonde here who basically you know she comes with him with a secret and she can bend steel she's got like super strength and you know but she doesn't know what to do and she's afraid to say anything and she doesn't want you know you know static is telling her well that's amazing and so there is a little bit of an well we've we've said this before this has an x-men vibe to it but i I like this now i'm not an i'm not an expert on x-men so i'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is better than the x-men i don't read enough x-men to know i can tell you this is a hell of a lot more accessible than the x-men and this is, in my view, the X-Men done with a more of a modern day sensibility and I'm enjoying it. And so if you, you don't need, you, you don't need to get tied up in a bunch of continuity. You can pick up even this second issue and still get a pretty good sense in terms of what the plot line is and uh, where it's going. The art is really fantastic. It remains really good. Um, and the, the use of lightning here is fantastic. I mean, incidentally, you want to talk about a one-minute war? Good Lord, I would have loved uh, Draper Ivy here on, uh, on one-minute war. I think that would have been fantastic. But uh, the way that Dita's motion and, and everything here is just incredible. And in any event, there's a young child here that uh, that ultimately Static will end up needing to protect called Quincy, who, is, who seems to be the focal point of... Uh, of the of the center of attention, the focus of this malevolent group that's looking for the bang babies, and so the mystery is building at the end of this first issue, and I, you know, I've I'm not collecting all the DC comics for review. I don't buy the physical copies of, but I buy the physical copies of Static because uh, even though I, you know, well, we we do give lip service to it. I do think it's one of the more underrated comics that DC has, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm hoping it speeds up a little. Um, and again, I'm just I'm missing that supporting cast, but maybe that's just me, uh, personal personal preference. So, 
Uh, all right. Last book we're going to talk about in detail this week, uh, The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number six, from writer Matthew Rosenberg. Carmen A. D. Jean Domenico is the artist. Arif Prianto on colors. Tom Napolitano on letters. A bit of a departure from what we've had. Um, this one focuses all on one Joker, the, the crime lord Joker, not the one that has been um, the focus of the book for the last couple of issues that we last saw being dragged off by Solomon Grundy. Um, so it's kind of an interesting take. He's in L.A. He starts he, – uh, he doesn't feel the town gave him the respect that he deserved while he was there. So he takes it upon himself to blow up a bunch of police stations. Uh, and then he's trying to get to the airport, and uh, he can't get through all the chaos. So I'm not – I sort of feel like I don't know what the point of this is. Um, I'm with you. It's a reminder, <laughs> yeah, it's a reminder that there's, you know, there's two different jokers in this – book um and we don't really know what the hell's going on and this is issue number six so I, you know i don't know if this is an ongoing i don't know how many issues it's going to be if it's not an ongoing um it was mildly entertaining i guess uh i mean if you like the joker you probably really love this um as we all know i'm i'm a little bit jokered out these days so for the for me this was only okay what were your thoughts? Well, I, I will say this, that I, I actually thought, you know, I've been, uh, I get into a little bit of a tiff at the, some of my buddies at the comic shop, uh, they, they don't find, uh, I actually find Matthew Rosenberg, I actually find his humor, I, it, most of the time I, I do laugh at it. I, it gives me, it gets me a chuckle. And uh, I find, I like his humor in, uh, I like the humor he gives Grifter and in uh, 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 Wildcats. And even the stand-up comedian here, I mean, this is extremely tropey in one hand, but there's, there's, there's a stand-up comedian here who's, who's basically doing comedy and the the joker he's afraid the joker's going to kill him uh and of course that's ultimately what happens but in the meantime he you have to entertain the joker and the joker wants to wants him to tell him jokes i actually thought some of the jokes were funny <laughs> i thought the comedian did a good job i wouldn't have killed the comedian uh but you know maybe some <laughs> some people uh you know some people are, are less forgiving as i am unfortunately the the, the comedian did mention did mention of course batman and of course you mentioned batman to the joker you're gonna upset you're gonna upset him uh but i share your sentiment that the rest of it you know we, we know we knew last issue that the joker was leaving the, that the who we think is the real joker is going to travel to gotham city to deal with this fake joker himself because clayface failed to deal with him and so this seems to so on the way to get back to gotham he's in la and in for whatever reason, he stops in L.A. for a drink at a comedy club but instead of just going straight to Gotham. I don't I didn't get it. I, I don't really understand it. I we, we get a bunch of scenes which I don't understand the point of it. Uh, nothing in here built the central mystery or provided any further clues as to who the fake Joker is or any sort of like enlightening sort of information or anything of the kind. It just seemed to be the Joker sort of, you know, enjoying L.A. There's even a full page spread where he says, I love L.A. And he's just the Joker being the Joker. And that's fine. I mean, let's not forget, this is called the Joker comic after all. And it does start the Joker, not mostly Commissioner Gordon, like the first series did. So that's some people complained about, but, and, and I don't, I don't understand Rosenberg's propensity showing, okay, well, this is Melrose. Uh, this is God, the Gotham. And then we're, then we, then we jump to the observatory and then we, 
and then we I, I'm not really sure what the point of all this is as you said because it doesn't it's not moving the it's not I don't really feel it's moving the narrative I don't see what the point of it is and then you know and then you know I mean there's I guess there's kind of a funny scene where there's a cosplayer dressed up like Batman and he's doing selfies with the Joker on the street and the Joker ends up shooting him and and again I'm I'm like you I'm, I'm I kind of chuckle at it it's kind of funny so some of these scenes are I'm not saying I'm not being entertained I'm just I'm, I'm I keep asking myself how does this tie in just other than just showing us chaos in the form of the Joker which we know how does this tie into the larger story maybe I just got to sit back and relax and say hey this is a Joker story after all how stupid am I to expect that a Joker story has to make sense all the time? We're talking about an agent of chaos. So let him let him do chaotic things. I should cut Rosenberg some slack, perhaps. And uh, but I'm I'm, you know, just at the end, he's leaving L.A. And then out of the blue, Manhunter shows up. Well, that just seems really contrived and out of the blue. And like, why? I just I, I don't you know, like I said, I, I don't I don't really get it. And once again, I Good night. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm not. I don't really get it, and 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 of course that flows into the backup, which once again, uh, I don't really quite understand the point of the backup e- either. But uh, I'll, I'll let you comment on the backup. Or did you even read the backup? <laughs> no, I read the backup. I, I don't have anything to say about the backup. It, it didn't doesn't add anything in my mind. You know, I know a lot of the backups have been nonsensical. This might be the most nonsensical of them all i it just yeah it it didn't feel yeah. like it was really worth spending my time reading to be honest with you so yeah don't have anything to add uh about the backup whatsoever yeah yeah literally and and, and for those people listening if you're wondering that if you think that jason and i are just being so completely dismissive how can we not say anything it's actually hard i'm challenged right now it's only like eight pages long i'm looking at it and i'm trying to actually make some sense out of it. I mean, and, and it's actually hard. It's just literally the Joker walks into a house where there's gorilla grod with a family and he starts to attack the kids. And then he's flashing back with two Joker looking babies in a crib. And then he's at a, seeing a funeral and then he's reading something. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this and it just, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It's just, um, I can't even call it organized chaos. And uh, it's just... Yeah, I mean, basically Joker goes to visit... Well, this this Joker supposedly has a job as a clown. He has a wife. He has a daughter. He shows up. Jack and Apes is there. Kills the Joker. And then there's another Joker. So the Joker that gets killed has a brother. One is named Ralph. One is named Edward. The one that is killed leaves in his will a list of things for the other to go and do. And as the other goes and does all these things, he becomes the Joker. So it's kind of the circular thing. But yeah, it didn't really. Yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I didn't I didn't understand understand the point of it. was really kind of yeah, really hard. I, I, I yeah, these these backups could be the worst ones of all. We <laughs> don't have frankly art to look at this time. So uh, anyway, anything to add uh, more about the regular story? 
Uh, no, I, I got nothing to add. I just, uh, now I just gotta, I'm trying to do my, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my head. Uh, why don't you go first? Tell me your pick of the week. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with, um, with Adventures of Superman, John Kent. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe a lot for the buildup of what's to come, just the sense of, of mystery, how much, how many answers there still are to come about what exactly is going on. And yeah, building up the tension for that eventual, John Kent Ultraman face-off. Uh, I'm really enjoying. But I'll give an honorable mention to uh, Batman Joker Deadly Duo because that was really, really great as well. Yeah. I, I will, I'm going to go with Batman the Joker Deadly Duo. Uh, the more I talked about it and hearing your comments on it, uh, I, I think I would, uh, I, w- I would have to go with uh, – I think generally I'd have to go with that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Batman Deadly yeah, Joker. Guys, and, yeah, you guys have probably already been to the comic shop this week, but uh, in case you – you haven't. Um, there is uh, the the flat a one shot called the Flash One Minute War Start the Clock. It actually collects the first three uh, issues of the Flash with uh, with One Minute War. So if you want to get caught up with One Minute War and you weren't buying those uh, issues of Flash or you, you know your shop doesn't have them anymore, you can pick up this one shot uh, and it has, as I said, the first three issues, first three chapters. Of uh, of the one minute war, and I think it, you'll probably end up saving a little bit, a little bit of money too, because I think it's probably six ninety nine, uh, as opposed to uh, if you bought the three issues seven ninety seven ninety one seven ninety two, um, you'd end up spending more than that. Uh, in terms of collections this week, there's uh, a couple of them, starting with the Nice House on the Lake, uh, Volume Two, which collects the last six issues of that fantastic series from James Tynan and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Also, uh, Batman Superman World's Finest, Volume 1, The Devil Nezha. That's uh, Mark Wade writing and Dan Morrow with some excellent art. Uh, Batgirls Volume 2, Batgirl Summer. It uh, also has a, uh, a collection coming out. The latest in Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo's uh, young adult DC graphic novels, Teen Titans Robin. You know, Previously, we've had Teen Titans uh, Beast Boy and Teen Titans Raven. Now they're tackling Robin. Uh, Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes, uh, book two trade paperback is out. This is collecting um, the Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes from back uh, New 52 Days. It collects uh, issues 13 through 25. And then um, there's also an exclusive edition with a different cover of the Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo uh, Teen Titans Robin graphic novel. So those are the collected editions this week. Uh, pretty solid week, as I said. Uh, Rocky felt it was a little, little less so. Um, but I do have to say I'm in agreement. I think Rocky and I are both in agreement these days that DC is uh, underachieving right now. Um, and we're, I was hoping for a little more with this dawn of DC. It seems like it's rolling out slowly. I sort of have mixed feelings about that. It's like if you're going to do a publishing initiative and try to you know, change the tone or direction of the line, it should be all at once, I feel like. But at the same time, if they weren't ready for that, I certainly don't want them to rush. But, you know, we I think a lot of this goes back to all the events. And I've talked about the event fatigue I'm feeling with DC right now a lot. Um, but we had this dark crisis, which was eventually um, dark crisis on infinite Earths. And it was supposed to, you know, change so much or whatever. And it's like that ended with a bit of a whimper. Dawn of DC didn't pick up right after it. It's rolling out slowly. Um and yeah, it just feels like the the whole line, if I had to sum it up in one word right now, lost. 
It feels a little directionless. Speaking of Lost, uh, I think next week we have Superman Lost, which is the actual name of the t- on the title. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like you know maybe it was just that Dan Didio was such a larger than life presence, and it felt like there was somebody steering the ship. <clears throat> doesn't feel like anybody's steering the ship at DC right now. It just feels like it's kind of meandering yeah. all over the place. And I would just make the general comment that, you know what? I don't need a big event. I, I, and I know DC has one coming out in the summer. I don't care. I, I don't need a, a big event at all. Just give me consistent stories. I just want to feel, like you said, we just want to feel like there's a direction for these characters moving forward. And like, you know, and like we finally get a direction for Flash where Jeremy Adams has put a lot of lipstick on the pig following Heroes in Crisis. And just when he's really firing on all cylinders, literally like a, like his own type of Flash, uh, he's on Green Lantern. Uh, God bless Green Lantern. I can't wait to see what Jeremy Adams brings to Green Lantern. But, uh, you know, I just I I hope that, uh, you know, it's kind of foolish. Even this compilation with one minute war, start the clock, collecting the first three issues of Flash. I mean, it it clearly it's almost as if DC sort of finally read the tea leaves. Oh, my God. Jeremy Adams is popular. Oh, my God. His Flash run. People actually like it. It's like where where have they been? Where's editorial been for the last two years when we've been talking about this guy. I mean, come on. Like, but in any event, God bless Jeremy Adams. And uh, hopefully uh, I don't suppose you have an interview with him coming up in the foreseeable future. Do you? I don't, but uh, I imagine when green lantern gets close, probably will. Awesome. I look forward to that. So in any event, we shall, uh, I guess uh, everybody, if you're watching, uh, uh, go to the Comic Source podcast. Listen to this as a podcast. And uh, it's on Apple Podcasts where, where all podcasts can be found. And if you can, uh, you can hit the like button here, hit the subscribe button, follow uh, me on uh, Comic Boom uh, YouTube channel. And anything to add, uh, Jace? No, just uh, again, we apologize. This came out late. Hope, hopefully that won't be the case next week. Uh, but yeah, my job, I've just been having to travel a lot for work. So. Uh, We appreciate you guys hanging in there. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. All right. And we're out of here. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.